Hey guys, it's Allison. I am so glad you're here with me. I want to tell you that this podcast, From Weeds to Wildflowers, it's all about resilience. So then it's pretty much about life. And if you've ever experienced life, then this podcast could possibly be for you. I want to put a disclaimer out there first. I am not a therapist. I'm not here to give you advice or to tell you what to do. What I am though is human. Yep, same as you. A human being that has an immense desire to want to help people discover ways to heal. There is so much suffering in this world, some of which stems from outside influences, but most of our suffering comes from within, from our own devices. And that is what worries me the most. I too have suffered, and yes, some of which came by means of my own hands. I would love for you to join me and walk alongside me as we navigate this wonderful, beautiful, sometimes frightening thing we call life. Let's find out what we're made of, and perhaps we can find ways we can do it better. Help me to unearth skills to dig deep in search of proverbial water that heals. Let's learn how to bloom wherever we find ourselves, not just where we're planted, and uncover the source of our own innate personal happiness. Come on now, let's do this together. Hey guys, so this episode is a little, what shall I say, like untraditional from at least the other episodes where I have interviewed somebody, usually I kind of start to introduce them, tell you their names, and then I let them kind of introduce themselves. But with this episode, it happened a little bit differently. So the gentleman that I am interviewing today is Jeff Alexander. Now I met Jeff through social media. I actually met him on my Instagram page. He had DM'd me about interviewing a woman that um, he was aware of that had a book out and had had MS. Kind of her story about her journey with MS. I felt a strong inclination that it was Jeff that I really wanted to know about. And so Jeff and I started to talk here and there. And I asked him if I could interview him for the podcast. And I'll be honest, he was like, you know what? I am not the kind of person that you want to interview for this podcast because I'm not resilient. He said, most of the time I'm the defeated. And I didn't believe that. I did not believe what he was saying. I believed that he believed what he was saying, but I did not believe what he was saying. So Jeff and I had a couple of conversations and he did agree to be interviewed for the podcast. So this is our interview but it didn't start out like normal where I introduce him and that sort of thing. So I'm introducing him now. The reason why is he had had some things happen that had been a little bit scary. Things dealing with his disease. So I was asking him about that and then we just started rolling into a conversation. So this is Jeff and I's conversation. Uh, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I think, I think, in addition to the physical issues, I think it also caused some um, psychological and some emotional issues as well. I can only imagine. Because you have to reevaluate. Um, I had plans of, I have a, an older truck camper that goes in the back of my pickup truck. So uh, getting that ready to go. And this fall, going into the uh, you know Blue Ridge Mountains, the Shenandoah Valley, 
oh, and wow. um, observing the leaves change in color uh, mm -hmm. this fall by myself. But I had to reevaluate and readjust my plans because of this now, because I would hate to be 500 miles from home and have an episode like this happen with nobody around. Right. And I'm sure that where you were going, you probably wouldn't have had great or any service. Yeah. Cell service would have been spotty at best. Um, and I just, it had, it made me reevaluate a lot of things. Um, it also made me reevaluate my, my living situation here because um, I live alone and um, right. I have this huge house that I built prior to being diagnosed. And that was because of what I thought my family would be like at the time. Now I've got this, and, and this is on family land too, a farm that's been in the family for four generations. So I have this land, have this house. I, it's hard to maintain by yourself, um, mm -hmm. both the exterior and the interior. It, it's a challenge. Fortunately, I've got, you know, a good family that my father, although he's older, my father uh, tries to help where he can and, and my sons help where they can. But it, it's, it was too much house when I built it, but I built it with the idea that my marriage would have lasted and we would have had uh, stepchildren here and their families and we would have big uh, holiday gatherings here and that type of thing. Right. But that, that wasn't to be. So, And the future doesn't, you know, this is not what I planned for my future. My future plans were that, that I was going to retire and I would have my garden and, and I've always been a mother earth type of person. Mm -hmm. I always liked the idea of growing my own food organically and living a more simplistic lifestyle because it wouldn't cost as much to retire if you were, you know, pretty self-sufficient and providing for your own needs. The diagnosis, the disease changed everything for me. In a space of five years, I lost my career, my marriage, my health. Uh, my mother passed away. My life was totally turned upside down by this diagnosis. And it was a lot of loss in a short period of time. The, the diagnosis came kind of as a surprise. Um, Tell me something, Jeff, with, with the diagnosis. What made you actually go in and what got you diagnosed? What was happening? Well, I had been having issues with kind of a limp for, for some time, for a few years. And mm -hmm. I was going to see a chiropractor to help with the limp. I thought it was maybe a pinched sciatic nerve or something like that. The adjustments were not helping. So... He suggested that I go to primary care and get an MRI, tried to get an MRI and insurance denied it from the primary care. They wanted me to go through some type of physical therapy first or something. And so then I went back to the chiropractor and I told him, I said, you know, I, I can't get the MRI. They want me to go through physical therapy first. And he said, well, he said, I've had pretty good success ordering MRIs. He said, let me try. So he did. He ordered an MRI and the insurance approved that. Mm -hmm. And I went for the MRI. He called me back shortly after, I mean, within a day or two, wanted to schedule a meeting with me. I met with him. He said, um, based on the MRI findings, it looked like I had multiple sclerosis. Based on the number of lesions in the brain, I had, I had was known as a T1 black hole and some other thing that were there that, that I didn't know. It was manifesting itself in my, in my left leg. But I was also noticing before that, I, I played keyboard for a worship team in church. And I was noticing I was having difficulty playing, uh, you know, manual dexterity, right. playing accurately. And it was frustrating. There were other issues that were cropping up that were kind of early telltale signs that I kind of ignored. Early telltale signs that you can dismiss, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, you just think, uh, it's, I'm having a bad day or, or, you know, clumsy or something like that. And also there, there, were, there were cognitive issues that were coming into play. 
and some vision issues. I was an engineer uh, for uh, Northrop Grumman. There were times when I would go to meetings, we'd be looking at a set of plans or a, um, uh, a report, and I had one of those magnifying like pages, like you get, uh, it's almost like a sheet of notebook paper, but it's a mm -hmm. magnifying glass. And I would use that in order to accurately see things that normally I should be able to see and pick up on. That was another sign that I kind of dismissed as, okay, I need my glasses adjusted or I need age, something like that. But once you got the diagnosis, then all of these puzzle pieces fit into place. Then you exactly. notice you're like, oh, well, this was a sign. This was a sign. This was a sign. And you know what? That's often how it happens. But can you do me a favor and just even for the collective, just explain, because some people may not actually understand what MS is. Can you just explain it to them? Sure. Multiple sclerosis is where your body, your white blood cells in your body, your T and your B white blood cells, mm -hmm. view the myelin, which is the myelin is a sheath that, that surrounds the nerves. It's, I, I liken it to the insulation around a wire, right. um, the coating around a wire. What your body does is it views that myelin as a foreign substance and it attacks that myelin like it would a, a virus or like it would a, an infection. And as a result of that, then there's there's all kinds of issues that happen. It shows up, in my case, both in the spinal cord and in the brain. Anywhere where there's a nerve, the myelin can be attacked and it's random and it's called the snowflake disease because no two people experience it the same way. I have a lesions in my spinal cord that affect my movement okay. because the signal's not getting, making the complete circuit. So yeah, the wire is the conductor, but the insulation, what that does is that, that ensures that the signal gets there and that there's not um, breaks in the signal or shorts right. in the signal okay. or, or short circuits in the signal. Thank you. And that's what happens with the, with the myelin. And so um, th that's one of the best examples I I've been told of how that works apparently have a progressive form of it. Mm -hmm. Most people who are diagnosed start with a relapsing and remitting form of it. I was diagnosed after the age of 50. And so uh, as a result of that, and I'm a male too, which two thirds of the uh, people with MS diagnosed are female. Um, right. Only a third are male. Also, the older you are when you're diagnosed, the more likely it is uh, a progressive form of the disease. Okay. Relapsing and remitting is people will have flare-ups, they'll have exacerbations, they'll experience problems, but then it'll revert back to like a remission stage where it's like normal, nothing happened. In a progressive stage, what happens is in the secondary and primary progressive. In a, mm -hmm. in a progressive stage, what happens is, is you'll have a disability and then you may have flare-ups where things get worse and it may get better. And then it may not, or it may, you may lose only maybe 10% and you may notice a 10% loss. And, and it's a, just a steady downhill type of decline that you experience. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed that with myself. I've noticed as time goes on, walking has become more of a challenge. Different things have become more of a challenge for me. How long since you've been diagnosed? I was officially diagnosed in uh, January of 2017. Okay. So it's been six years. Yeah. Okay. So I was diagnosed January of 2017. Prior to that, it took about, after, the, after that initial MRI that the chiropractor ordered, I still had to go to a neurologist and go through batteries of tests in order to determine that that's exactly what it was. Right. Um, and that took some time to, that took several months to go through that process. Final thing that, that confirmed the diagnosis was I had a um, 
a spinal tap and the cerebral spinal fluid indicated that I had MS. We had ruled out a lot of things. I, I had had Lyme disease in the past and uh-huh. I had been treated for that. But again, during the process, because it showed up on a, on a Western block, I was treated again with a course of antibiotics because my neurologist was pretty thorough. He wanted to take everything off of the tape that could have been a, a thing that was contributing to this. So multiple things. And the Lyme could have, could have been a precursor. I think, I think a lot of stress was another thing at the time. I was a chief engineer uh, in my building. had a lot of responsibility, a lot of stress with that job. Also, there was a lot of stress at, at, in my personal life as well. At the time, my wife didn't understand what was going on with me, both from the standpoint of, I guess, my work pressures and from the standpoint of the physical pressures I was undergoing. As a result of that, you know, she started communicating with single men. That added to my pressure. All of these things were creating a perfect storm for me. Pressure, the, the, the stress, all of that was, was making things worse because with MS, stress can exacerbate a situation to make it worse. Lack of sleep, poor diet, lots of things can make things worse with MS. And that's why with, with this, I have to be very careful about diet, exercise, sleep. There's so many factors that you have to consider when, when you're dealing with this issue. It's been a character builder. I'll tell you that much. It's been a, been a revelation. Yeah, I can only imagine. It's revealed a lot to me, both about myself and about those around me. So talk to me about that. Tell me some some things you've learned about yourself or about your environment, you know, the people in your environment too. First of all, my my father, who's a very, very strong man, Mm -hmm. both mentally and physically, this last exacerbation that I had where I was, you know, for all intents and purposes, paralyzed in all four limbs. I was staying at his house over that one weekend because my neurologist didn't want me staying alone in my house. I had gone to the restroom. I guess it was maybe about 10 or 11 o'clock at night. I was leaving the restroom. Of course, you know, I had my, my wheelchair and walker and things there. I went down, I fell down. I called to him, he came. He was gonna call my brother-in-law and wake him up and my youngest son. And I said, no, don't do that. And uh, then he said, you know, thinking about calling 911 to have somebody, I said, no, don't do that. So this was after I had taken the, the baclofen. This was in the process of realizing that the dose was too strong. My father sat in the hall with me. I was laying in the hall, couldn't get up, was struggling to get up. In fact, panic. My father, in retrospect, said, you know, you, I was frantic. So much so that I wearing myself out doing it. And I had to just stop. Dad said, well, let's just sit here and rest. He said, we'll pretend like when you were a child and we put blankets over two chairs and pretended it was a tent and you were sleeping outside. And um, he said, we'll pretend like that. It kind of made me smile. So I said, okay, dad, we'll do that. And, you know, by about two o'clock that morning, then I was able to, to get enough strength to pull myself up and get into my chair. And then he went ahead and pushed me the rest of the way from my chair back out of the hallway and into, into the living room where I was, where I was asleep. That showed me something about my father and it showed me something about our relationship. Prior to that, I don't think he really realized the extent of what the disease was and and how it affected me, but he saw firsthand how it did. And it changed him a little bit in that. Could it not? I mean, that was so tender, Jeff. I had tears in my eyes just listening to that. That was actually so tender. Yeah. And and I... I saw that side of my dad and, and my dad is, is a strong man, but he stayed in that, in that hallway with me till 
it was 2 a.m. and I could finally get myself up. In fact, even went out and got a small rope from the garage. I could tie around my left foot so I could try and pull that up as I gained more strength with my left arm, as the strength was returning in my left arm. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm thankful that I got this back because the possibility existed that it wouldn't come back. Right. That I could have lost this, this movement permanently to some degree. So I'm thankful that I got the movement back and and I've always been a spiritual person. Mm -hmm. And in that, in that respect, Number one, I'm thankful to God for restoring that to me. But I also try and look at the reasons behind things. There is a reason behind things that happen to you. And they don't always have to be negative. They can be positive. Oh, absolutely. Um, And and they can be used in a positive way. I've had interactions with people in the MS community. I've had interactions with one in particular that was going to attempt suicide. And I had to stop and explain to them, it's not a death sentence. And it is manageable. I've had opportunities, different other things that have happened in my life that have been what you would call traumatic or upsetting. Mm-hmm. I've had, the, I've been able to use those situations and, and it makes sense why those things happen because those things happened to me so that maybe I could understand what somebody else was going through or right. so that I could explain something to someone else or so that I would have to dig deep within myself as quote unquote a character builder in order to find who I am and what I'm made of. Um, and also reveals to me who people are. Like I said, like my father revealed to me a tender side of him that I hadn't seen. And, and even with my ex, it revealed a side to me of her that I hadn't seen or known. And, but isn't, um, isn't that amazing that you can see that? I love that you can see that because often people can't see the benefit in the hard times. But I love that you pointed that out. It showed you so many things. It showed you about yourself. It showed you about other people, but also the the component that maybe part of the reason you're going through this is so that you can help somebody else that may not be yes. maybe as resilient as you or not be able to see it. But if you can shine a mirror, you know, if you can show them a mirror and realize that, hey, this happened to me too. You too can make it through. And to that point, you know, the, the idea of, of a mirror, all, the, all these things, that's, that's the great thing you have to keep in mind is that these negative things can be turned into positive things, but it all depends on your perspective. Absolutely. It, it's like uh, two people on, on either side of, of the numeral that's a six. If, if one guy stand on one side of it, it looks like a six. If one guy stand on the other side of it, it looks like a nine. Both are correct. Uh, It's correct that I have MS, but whether I view it as a six or a nine, whether I view it one way or another, positive or negative is up to me and how I choose to view it. And I can use this as a tool. I have a deeper appreciation for a lot of things now. My priorities have changed because of it. And and I'm learning new things about gratitude and new things about simple things in life. I always did fancy myself as someone who enjoyed simple things in life, Mm -hmm. but it's even more important now to me. Right. Because because of the MS and and also the realization that no matter how life deals us a a problem or whatnot, we can always use it in some way to have a positive outcome, whether it's a positive outcome for us, which it should, or a positive outcome for others because of our sharing in that. Yes. That's the most important thing is not letting the negative things 
you know, destroy you, but yeah. allowing those things to transform you in a positive way. Um, I don't feel like I'm resilient. You know, I, I know you've said that, that to me many times, Jeff, and I'm like, I want to shine a mirror back to you right this second and say, yes, yes, you are, Jeff. Because uh, my, my vision of, of resilient is somebody who, when they're, when they're confronted with something, they triumph over over it and, and you had mentioned before that it's not necessarily triumph but but it's it's the the tenacity to keep going but but for me i i always viewed somebody resilient as somebody who had overcome the obstacle already who had, who had won the battle so to speak and i don't i don't feel like i've won this battle and i won't to a certain extent it's a lifelong battle well let me tell you but, something um, jeff i think you need to reform the definition of resilience because resilience isn't isn't the destination. It is that journey. You're looking at somebody who quote unquote has reached the destination and that's what you're considering resilience. But I honestly and fully believe that resilience is what happens before that. And that, and, and I don't, I don't care what you're talking about, Jeff, you have shown me just in, well, in our other conversations that we've had, but even in this conversation, you are resilient. You are so resilient. And I don't want you to ever think that you're not. You have such a beautiful soul. And what you're learning about yourself and others and what you're sharing, can you not see that that in and of itself is resilience? It's probably one of those one of those uh, situations where you can't see the forest for the trees, maybe. Maybe uh, it's harder for us to see things within ourselves. It's just like it's easier for me to be a cheerleader for other people when it comes to MS and they're dealing with it. But it's harder to be a cheerleader for myself for some reason. And, well, I mean, uh, it's that way. It's that way a lot of the times with anything. It's like harder to see the beauty in ourselves. It's harder to see blah, blah, blah. But I remember from the first moment that I met you, you messaged me on Instagram. And you were telling me about another woman with MS that you thought I should interview because yes. um, you thought she was the epitome of resilience. And I said, no, Jeff, who I want to interview is you, <laughs> <laughs> you. And I felt from the very beginning that you had a story and it was one of resilience. And it's just that you couldn't see it. I want to shine that light back to you. You have touched my heart so much through the times that we've talked. I want you to know you need a cheerleader, Jeff. By hell, I will be your cheerleader every <laughs> damn day, every day, every day. You have to see, you have to see the blessings and the gift in these things that come on you. And that's the challenge. Um, yes. You have to see the, the, the blessings in it. And there are blessings in it. No matter what's thrown at you, correct. You can still find good in it if you look hard enough. There's still challenges; they don't go away. I'm, I'm, I'm always going to have challenges associated with this. There are days when I am down, down, down. But you know, you don't have a choice. You got to keep going. There's no choices. You have to keep going. You have to keep moving forward. You can't just stop. That's the thing. Um, there is no choices. You have to keep moving forward. Well, if you don't not moving forward, then you're falling backwards. I do not believe that you can stay still because life in many ways is an uphill climb, right? So it if is. you think of yourself on a hill, even if you're in a freaking car, you can't just, you can't 
put it in neutral and expect to go forward. Even if it's the tiniest of steps. And yes, we do roll backwards at times. I myself have done that time and again, right? Rolled backwards only to be able to go, okay, I can go forward now. Sometimes we have to, but it's okay. Like even um, Chris Avery, who I interviewed, he says, sometimes it's just a matter of going from cone to cone. That's enough. We don't need to go, you know, 10 miles down the road. Sometimes it's just a foot and that's okay. That takes an adjustment in your mindset. Absolutely. Because you're so used to performing. You're so used to achieving. Yep. You're so used to doing it. It's just like changing my mindset about planning, like building this house with the idea that, you know, I would have family here and we would celebrate holidays and whatnot. You have to change your mindset. And that's another thing, too, that, that I'm learning. There's several things I'm learning through this process. One is acceptance. Acceptance doesn't mean resignation. Right. Acceptance is, is and resignation are two different things. But learning acceptance of where I'm at and what's happening, you have to change your, your perspective, your goals. You have to reevaluate everything in your life as far as where, where your goals are. Right. And um, what's important to you, that's a big thing because uh, how your vision of the future changes, your vision of yourself changes, your vision of every your, your world vision changes yeah. as a result of this. That's traumatic in and of itself because you have to recalibrate and readjust. You know, here I am, I'm not working and I should be. Here I am, I, I think I should be doing this and that and I can't. I don't want to think that I can't, but it's just that I'm not able to, you know? Right. I have to adapt things so I can do them. It takes a major shift. Uh, in your mind. That I think is one of the biggest hurdles that people with MS have. There was a, a thing I posted on my Instagram account about uh, people with MS have more depression than cancer and epilepsy and a bunch of other things combined. And part of that is because of having to re reevaluate your life and your physical ability and, you know, all the things that, that you do, it affects every area of your life. Right. And, um, my goal is for it not to be, not to be such a big thing. There are people like Montel Williams who have, you know, gone on to thrive in spite of it. Mm -hmm. um, many people that have, and my goal is to not be, you know, dominated by MS, but for me to dominate it. That's that's the goal, and and that's what I'm trying for. And that's that's an everyday thing, but I'm trying for it. Gratitude is a big thing. Being thankful. I remember when we were going through a diagnostic procedures. Um, at University of Maryland for my neurology, I kept praying that, Lord, please make it be, if it's anything, MS and not ALS. Yeah. You know, I understand and that. There's always something you can be grat, you know, have gratitude. I've translated that down to even a good tasting cup of coffee, <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> I do know. <laughs> mindfulness, mindfulness, you know, a, a good tasting cup of coffee is like, wow, you know, and then finding those simple things, as I talked about it, it's important. I love how you say, you know, those simple things and you pointed out just as a, a cup of coffee, that really comes down to like what you said, mindfulness. It comes down to being present in your life, being present right now, that cup of coffee, enjoying that cup of coffee instead of drinking it and worrying about what's happening next or further down the road. There is no probably loftier goal that you have than um, not letting it define you. But how we do that, like you said, is an everyday process. The simple things like I love a good just cup of coffee. It's almost a ritual when I drink a cup. Yeah, the aroma and everything. I oh, mean, yeah. it touches all your senses. 
that's why my goal, you know, to go to the, the Shenandoah Valley, uh, you know, in the Blue Ridge Mountains at fall when the leaves are changing meant something to me. There's nothing more beautiful than to see those mountains on fire as, as the, the leaves change. And it's just breathtaking. But that you know, goal doesn't have to end, does it? Can you find someone to go with you or, you know, change your perspective on how that was going, yeah. how you thought it was going to look? And it might look a little bit different, but I think you can still accomplish that, Jeff. Yeah, and I, I'm still working towards it. Um, and, right. and I've been working towards that goal. And then that's that's something that, that I think I was, I'll still realize and make happen. Where you you shift your, your values and your perspective on things mm-hmm. and, and the simple things carry great meaning look the future's not promised to any of us and right. how we envision the future can change in a heartbeat i think about people who go through even automobile accidents and things like that you know and they're, they're maybe they have injuries that they sustain and, and maybe they have trouble you know maybe they're paralyzed from from an automobile accident their world changes instantaneously correct and they go through a lot of the same things i do they go through adjustments with you know, now I can't do things or they, they even see the things with family members. They, they, their whole world changes. That's the thing that that's the good thing about your podcast is at least there are people who can listen to this and can realize that things can be better. And it just takes a, a shift in your perspective. Absolutely. And, um, and, and, and that's one of the, one of the things where I was telling you, I, I think after you do a collection of these, uh, even a, a book might be in order. Um, because mm. all of these things, you know, are, are important. Sometimes when you're hit with this, you don't realize it's just like with pe- newly diagnosed people with MS. They have nobody to talk to. They have no place to go, no resource, really, unless they, they tap in themselves. Something like this would be beneficial to people who are going through these type of traumatic events, you know, in their life, life changing, life altering events. There could be a whole study on that. And I think I think you're gifted uniquely to do that i applaud the work you're doing thank you i do i am floored with with you honestly um so impressed i want it can you touch on so after you were diagnosed how long was it that you were still able to work when did you have to give up your job i know you 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 loved your job you were like a supervisor or something and loved the team that you worked with yes i did i love my team i i after the initial diagnosis, I continued to work until pretty much I used a walker at work all the time. And, uh-huh. um, short-term disability. I would say it was probably maybe a year and a half after I was diagnosed. I can't, I can't tell you the exact date. I can't remember. I could look okay. it up, but I don't know exactly. I, can't remember. I was using a walker at work and I started to notice that I was becoming more of a liability. And I think the management was realizing I was becoming a liability because of fall hazards and things like that. Um, And and I worked, I worked uh, at a department of defense facility. We replicated Navy ships prior to my diagnosis. I I climbed like 180 foot tower, worked on radars and different things like that, weapon systems. And with this disease, I wasn't able to, to perform the same. And even cognitively, there were differences. I stepped down prior to the diagnosis. Um, which, you know, I think stress leading up to that was one of the, the contributing stress factors. I, I worked for about a year and a half after being diagnosed, and then I went on short-term disability, and then that trans, translated into long-term disability. 
and mm -hmm. the long-term disability translated into social security disability. And now I, I, I receive social security disability and I, and I don't work and I can't really. Uh, very difficult even now. I use a walker even in my own house, wherever I go. If I'm um, out in public or whatnot, I usually use a chair. Fortunately, I found a, um, a used Fold and Go, which is a, about a 50-pound folding electrical wheelchair. Mm -hmm. And I found one of those and was able to use that. So anytime I'm out in public for any length of time, I use that because I can't trust myself to stand for very long or to walk very far. Some of the wheelchairs that the insurance approves are upwards around 400 pounds. And wow. you have to have a, some type of um, platform on the back of your, on the back of your vehicle that you okay. can, you know, ride it up a ramp and then fold it up. Or you have to have a specialized vehicle with, um, you know, like a, a van or something that you can, can ride in. That to me seemed like a financial hurdle. So I found this fold and go, it's 50 pounds, TSA compliant. It goes about 16 miles on a charge, waterproof, take it out in the rain. And it seemed like the ideal thing. That was another divine intervention, right? Oh, I found this and I got it right. used at a very reasonable price. That's been a game changer for me because when I was commuting to work, I was driving an hour each way. And so I had to have a car that got good gas mileage. So I have a Honda Fit, very limited space. So I had to have something that would fit in there. And so I had to get a wheelchair that would work. And th this works. Now, I'm starting to notice now, and this is a newly thing that I'm noticing, I'm probably going to have to eventually transition to hand controls for the car because of my, my right leg is my good leg. And uh, mm -hmm. automatic, you know, I can use that for acceleration and braking. But I'm noticing now that I'm probably going to need some time with, because you have to pass the driver's test with hand controls once you get them. And so I, I know that that's something that's, that's looming in my future. But knowing that, you can prepare for it somewhat and you can adapt to it. Just like my pickup truck. I have an older Ford F-250 pickup the one that I was going to take my camper on. And I had the mechanic move the headlight dimmer switch from the floor up to the dash so I could manipulate it with my hand. And those are the kind of things I have to do to, to adapt things. No question for you, Jeff. So I know that you'd said before you were even diagnosed that it was a limp that took you in. It seems like it's affected your lower extremities First, is that normal or is that just how it affected you where the lesions happen to be with you? Yeah. I'm just curious. Usually, uh, that's how it affected me. Now, a lot of people, it affects their mobility with foot drop and different things like that. That's, that's mm -hmm. what I suffer from. I have a brace that when I do try and stand, that goes from the bottom of my foot all the way up to my thigh. And it has a locking mechanism. So if I'm going to stand, like say at the kitchen sink or whatnot, I can lock that in so that it's rigid. So it doesn't, okay. so my leg doesn't collapse out from under me. Most people it's manifested either through vision or through mobility. And it also manifests itself in things like bladder. Okay. I have to take medication for my bladder. Mm -hmm. Yes. It, it did seem to manifest itself in lower extremities for me first. Okay. And I do, I do notice the transition and it seems to be predominantly for me on one side. Fortunately, my right side is good. Again, looking for things to be thankful for. Um, my right. right side is good. And, and my upper body, for the most part, is good, which is which is a, a blessing because I can lift that 50-pound chair and I can put it in the back of the car, take it out, I can do things. And that's, that's why the paralysis of, of that weekend really scared me because without my upper body strength, with the 
uh, right leg going too, with yeah. all four limbs kind of paralyzed, it, it's it's a scary thought. And then it's like, what do I do now? It, it changes everything quick. That's the shock of it. And that's why I said I had some psychological and some emotional issues, hurdles to that. Sure. Because to realize that that was a possibility, it was terrifying. Because I had gotten used to my life the way this is right now. Right. And then that was a rapid change. You know, you face the fear and what choice do you have? You have to move forward, you know? Yeah. So question, can I ask, and you don't have to answer, but psychologically, when you were diagnosed, what, what went on? I mean, I'm sure you suffered some depression and things like that. You know, what, what happened if you just to maybe even help somebody else? Yes. There were a lot of things that contribute to the, the psychological battle with that. I was taking antidepressants before the diagnosis because I was noticing there were a lot of things that were working in my life at the time that were really discouraging. And it were really, and I didn't know that I was facing an MS diagnosis. I, right. I, at the time, I was, I was wondering why I couldn't operate my left leg like I wanted to and right. why I was tired all the time, the fatigue issue. And that, again, started creating more pressure and psychological stress on me because my ex at the time was wondering what is wrong with you, you know, and was not very sympathetic towards all this because neither of us knew what I was going through. I think she thought I was becoming indifferent or I was, or I was losing interest in her or whatnot when actually all of it was, was some of it was manifestations of the MS. And, and so because of that, that's why I think as a result of that, she started talking to these single guys because she felt like I was like we were drifting apart. I attribute that to the MS. And you asked about the, the psychological aspects of it. Mm -hmm. That there were so many of them that were confronting me at the same time with the relationship, with the work, with the physical things. Mm -hmm. So many things were hitting me at the same time. I was taking a mild antidepressant at the time. You know, I don't know how I made it through really. I mean, I don't know, maybe you block some of it. I don't know how I got through it sometimes. There are challenges even with the medications that you take for this disease and you have to kind of adapt and be ready with that. And you have to, you have to get in touch with your own body the same way with pacing yourself as far as fatigue, knowing how your body responds. Okay, I know. They call it spoon theory. You start the day with so many spoons and each thing costs something. Getting a shower takes three spoons. Let's say you start with you know, 20 spoons, getting a shower takes three, fixing your breakfast, getting dressed takes one or two. And you, as you go through the day, each thing costs some spoons. And hopefully by the end of the day, you've got at least one or two spoons left so you can put yourself to bed. But if you run out of spoons during the middle of the day, you're done. That's what they use, at least in the MS community, to describe the allocation and, and, the, and the energy reserves that you have. And yeah. you have to learn to listen to your body that mm -hmm. takes that takes some dusting to listen to your body and what it needs and what it requires and changing habits eating habits um exercise sleep hygiene all those things are big adjustments that well and you have to prioritize right you have to prioritize and every day may be different i have a, a good friend of mine has ms as well and during the snow that we had here she says i have to decide whether i go shovel or if I shower. And there were days when she's like, I overextended myself and I was done by this time. You know, she, she's like, I'm usually pretty good, but there are days when 
I overthink my, should we say spoon, uh, how many spoons I started with at the beginning of the day. Each day is different depending on what that day holds. Thing is, is people look at you and they can't see the disease. It's not like right. you have a cast on your leg from a broken leg. It's not like you have any visible sign that there's something wrong with you. Right. And I think that's part of why the people close to you go through an epiphany, like my father did. Um, yes, they look he at saw you it when you firsthand. Yes, because he knew how hard I was struggling to get up into that chair. Until you live with somebody who's got a progressive you know, disease like this, you don't realize it. Autoimmune disease, you don't realize it. And the thing is, is family members don't really know until they actually experience it with you. And when they do, then it's eye-opening for them. And, well, and um, I said, you know, okay, Jeff, what happened to you this past week with the tardive dyskinesia? Just listening to you. It changed so much for your father. Yes. That will change everything, I think, for you in the future. If nothing else came from that, he will have a better understanding. Wayne Dyer spoke on this. He said the difference between beliefs and knowings. Beliefs are things that are given to you by other people. Knowings are what come from within. I just think that's so profound. And I have felt that... Certain beliefs of mine have become knowings and it's changed everything. And I'm at such peace within myself. I can't even begin to explain. Well, that, that means you're a very rich person. If you have that peace, that's priceless. That's priceless. I agree. And, and, you know, that's why you need to guard that peace. And don't let the world or anybody else take that peace from you. Because oh. that, that was hard-earned and well-earned, and that's valuable. It's more valuable than gold. That's what we were created for initially, was yes. not all this stress and all this crap. We were initially created for peace and happiness and love and and, and, exactly. and all that. Again, it all goes back to love and, and our acceptance of ourselves and our acceptance of other people, our love for them. It all goes back to that. We are on the verge, I think, of a renaissance here, spiritually, emotionally, uh, uh, mentally, and, and physically as a people. Collectively, we are on the verge of a renaissance. Somebody like you is on the cutting edge of that. I appreciate you, Allison. I appreciate the work you're doing and the podcast, and I appreciate you know, that you're collecting all of these things together in one spot. And um, Thanks, Jeff. I think it's a fantastic resource. I, I'm glad I got to know you. Same. Got to, got to, and, and I do look forward sometime to doing some breath work and trying some of these things because as you were beginning, as we were connecting in the beginning before the podcast, it was, it was, it was very, it was almost hypnotic in a way. It was very, very soothing and hypnotic in a way. And it was mm-hmm. like, cool. I was like way cool. And so if that's any indication or foretaste of what the breath work is like, I'm like, it is that's gonna be fantastic. <laughs> it's such a beautiful modality. It really is. Thank you so much for for being here today and for being willing to share. I know how hard it was for you really to get to this point. And I cannot tell you how much it means to me, that you trust me and that you felt safe enough to share. Well, thank you, Allison. I appreciate it. And I appreciate the work you're doing. Thank you so much. Thanks. You have a beautiful day. Bye-bye. Hey, see you. Bye-bye. What a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining me today. So much goodness 
and so many tidbits to take away from today's conversation. I hope that this episode caused you to pause, to think, to feel, and maybe dig deeper in the search for resilience within yourself. I hope that some of you were able to find things here to add to or to help you hone tools you've already acquired in your individual search for resilience. I can't wait to see you next time.